My name is Josh Peck, host of Peck Report on Daily Renegade. I used to suffer with chronic pain from a degenerative bone disease. I was hopelessly addicted to opioids without any end in sight. But then I discovered Kratom and CBD. I am no longer on prescription drugs and I have more energy and pain relief than ever before. Kratom and CBD have given me my life back without draining my bank account. If you too would like some minor to major pain relief, Kratom and CBD might be for you. Either click on the links in the description below this video or go to dailyrenegade.com on the top left banner or right side ad and check out Tropic Health Kratom and CBD. Use promo code HEALTH20 for 20% off your order and get your life back today. Hello everybody and welcome back to another edition of The Christian Contrarian. I'm Gary Wayne, author of the Genesis 6 Conspiracy, and this is episode 21, Satan's Earthly Human Government, and is the second part to episode 20, which we covered off the hierarchy of the counterfeit, rebellious, angelic government that oversees this world. And today we're going to bring this back, back down to our level and how it impacts us every day and how it has impacted us throughout our history and give you an idea of how the two earthly and spiritual governments kind of work hand in hand to enslave humankind. And so as a summary of the last time, just in case you haven't seen episode 20, we broke down that hierarchy into two essential pillars. One being coming from the Seraphim, which is one of the three watchers of the Cherubim and the Ophanim that surround the throne. The Seraphim are the fiery serpent angels that minister before God. And they are representative of the government arm as part of the watchers and as they're described in Daniel 4 as watchers and dealing with government and authorized government as it comes from the throne of God, rebellious or otherwise. And down from the seraphims you have the powers, which comes from the word excusia that we covered off in detail, and then followed by the dominions. And that dominion stands for ruler, um, authority, and it comes from the Greek word kuriatos. And then from there it splits into the two pillars of the government side of earthly government that's going to include the church on one side for religious and then you've got the ruling state and the magistrate states all part of the government part descending from the king. And the other side of the government that we talked about in terms of the ruling aspect of the angels, you have the archangels and we covered that off of coming from the seven that are also around the throne. Uh, and that below the archangels were the principalities, which comes from Arca. And then you had the mighty ones or the virtues, as they might be known in some of the references that 
you might look at when you look at the hierarchy of the angels and that comes from the word dunamis these are very powerful mighty angels and then the regular angels and you'd have angels on both sides in this host of uh, the rebellious angels and so you have an army host with rank and order and then you have a government uh, uh, host as well. So two different pillars, but all funneling back into on the rebellious side into Satan and on the uh, holy side into God and his throne. So the satanic government was essentially a counterfeit. So this is what we're going to look at as we bring it down to the earth, because we need to understand how this plays out so that we can recognize how we're governed by these forces so that we're not deceived. And there's not much that we can do to overthrow. This is going to continue throughout the end time, but we're going to understand where it sort of all fits and how they so easily deceive us in terms of how they set things up. And so we're going to start with uh, a couple of verses, just as a couple of examples so you know what I'm talking about, because when we look at earthly government and earthly armies, they're going to be a replica of the rebellious angels. So an extension and a replica and a counterfeit of how God would like it to be. And I even wonder whether or not we were meant to have kings in, in, in ruling us anyways, because, you know, when God set up Israel, he had judges initially, but the people wanted kings. And so that was what the other people uh, and nations had. It wasn't what God wanted for Israel. And then when you look at, you know, the patriarchs coming down from the flood from Noah forward, again, you didn't have kings on that side. You didn't have kings on the side of the Sethites. So earthly government with the kings are kind of an introduction into that human realm, but it's part of the government. It just has the heads. And we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit more detail as we go. So in Titus 3.1, we have references to that we are subject to principalities, powers, and magistrates. And these are the same terms as what are used for the angelic realm. So principalities, arca, powers, uh, excusia, and uh, magistrates would be pf archaeo. So you have uh, a prefix on arca. So it's, again, that are the courts. So that's where the place of persuasion and arguments go on in terms of judgment within the legal part of the courts, just so that you understand that. We also have a reference to a religious aspect that comes out of Luke 12, 11, where it says that, you know, we're subject to in the synagogues, magistrates and power. So again, you can see sort of that du duplication, whether it's the religious side or the um, government side that all splits down that one pillar of government into government and then religious. And then on the army side, you have a, a similar type of, of hierarchy and, and ranks. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. Uh, but it is a separate sort of organizational structure that will answer to the king. So I just wanted to get that sort of on the table. And then we need to understand all of this in relation to the 70 nations of the world that's described in Deuteronomy 28 and how those numbers come about, which we've talked about in past commentaries and shows. And those are the 70 descendants of Noah after the flood. 
and the 70 as counted, not of Israel, but as with the sons of Jacob that were born in Israel, just to confirm a numerical number, and as it was before the flood with Adam. So 70 before the flood, 70 after the flood. And of course, that's what would be making up the council of gods and the nations as we look at this going forward. And I know we've talked about Satan a lot as we talked about the players of who are in the Bible so that we can better understand what's going on. But I'm just going to cover off Satan a little bit more because in the polytheist religions, he's equated with God as God's equal, which is why he wants to set up a realm separate from God and raise his throne to be as high as God. And we're going to see that reflected in the end time as well with Antichrist. And this is the reign of of government and counterfeit government and counterfeit earthly government that he wants to also have going forward into their new age and their new Aquarius. Um, obviously, we know what happens in Revelation. It's not going to happen. But for us to understand how they control things, we need to sort of look at that. And I like, you know, the verse in Ephesians 6:11 where it gives us warnings of the wiles of the devil. We need to be aware of that because Satan masquerades as an angel of light, just as his ministers do. And we need to understand that so that we don't get confused with what we think may be good government or good religious uh, oversight. We need to always look behind that curtain and see who's the wizard or Satan or angelic being that's pulling the strings here. And in Ephesians 6, 11, it talks about the wiles of the devil. And, and wiles is such an important term to understand. That goes back to the Greek word methodia, which means method, tactic, cunning, crafts, or the ways of the devil. Like He is a super sinister, smart, cunning individual that deceives, but not with sort of in your face over evil until there's absolute control and then they start to slaughter the followers of human of, of God so that humankind can be either totally enslaved or totally led astray so that we don't receive our destiny in the future time. So we need to understand that Satan is the equal to God in the polytheist belief system and that's the structure that things are going to descend from. And Verse 12 in Ephesians 6 continues with some more important information about talking about, you know, we don't just fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness in this world. And of course, these are also discussed in other parts of the Bible as the invisible ones. So these are the spirit realm, but it's also the flesh and blood. And again, in 6, while we have those connected, so it's an inter connected form of government or an extension on earth of humans of the angelic rebellious angels and rulers uh, goes back to a greek word cosmocratore uh, if i've pronounced that right and i had to look to make sure and it means an epithet for satan or the devil and or the prince of this world and his host so when we talk we see rulers as it's being listed in the New Testament, it doesn't always go back to cosmocratore as the rulers, but we need to understand that in the hierarchy, it all goes back to the most powerful angels and Satan, who is 
the God of this world, as it's talked about in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, and the prince of this world, as John 14.30 and 16.11, call him who is the archon and the ruler, and Ephesians 2.2, who is the prince of the air. So this is all talking about Satan having absolute control over this world, and dispensing that power down through the various nations through his council of gods that's talked about in Psalm 82 with those 70 nations and that's when it now comes down to the earth that we're going to talk about. So let's talk now about the government on earth via the humans and I'm going to again go back to these seven original nations because that's the form of humanly government and the mystical religions for the most part that have governed over the 70 nations since the dispersion at Babel and thereafter. And in the pantheons of the local governing angelic hierarchy, you have both gods and goddesses. And I look at that that Angels can take any form that they want, and thus they can take any gender that they would like. So they form this duality in this dualistic religion. And then we see that transferred to the human realm as their divine representatives and their offspring, as, and as the descendants roll on, the descendants of those original offspring, which were the Nephilim before the flood and the Rephaim after the flood, who produced all of the kingships because they usurped the kingships both before and after the flood. And then as the nations expanded, they expanded with new dynasties with the same bloodlines of these 70 different nations. And so you can imagine that very early on after Babel, you have the Rephaim taking over each of the kingships of these nations as they were dispersed from Babel. And they would have been predisposed to that because that's where the mystical religion is imposed on them by Nimrod and his priests and the Magi, as they would later be called, as it, as they developed that religion, staying in Shinar or in Sumer. And so each of these nations and each of these developing nations, as the populations expanded and as they moved into other territories, would also require an inferior kingship that would report back in the hierarchy of the genealogies to the superior kingship. And that's why genealogies are kept by the bloodlines and the royal families because they have a hierarchy of the beginning and the archaic ancient aspect and the degree of pedigree. So both are important in terms of where they fit in that cult of the royal bloodlines who are controlling the earthly government and have done so since Babel. And of course, Nimrod was the first one who is an antichrist type of archetype who had control over humankind and, and, and imposed this mystical religion. And just as Babylon rides the seven empires, as Revelation talks about, you have this consistency in that organizational structure. And we, I went into detail on that in a four-part series, so I, I won't be redundant on that. So each of these kingships of the 70 and of the nations that extend, and one whether or not there are 10 under each, 
you know, seven major ones with maybe 10 sort of offspring that make up the 70 uh, gods of, of the council of gods. I don't know, but it's just an interesting number that, you know, I wish I could get some more information on, but I think there's a relationship there, especially with the tens of tens that are talked about in, in First Enoch. But each of these kingships, whether inferior or superior, will have a coat of arms. And this is not unusual. And the nobility class, that is the offspring of these kingships, and as, as they continue to develop throughout history, will have a coat of arms. So you have thousands of coat of arms, a lot of them kind of similar because they are kind of like an offspring coat of arms of the inferior dynasties that they descend from. And so they tend to have iconology and symbols that are taciturn language to their pedigree, their ancientology and perhaps even the angels or the angel rank that they come from because you'll see things like lions on there you'll see things like dragons on there you'll see things like eagles or ravens and those are all images of kinds of the angelic realm that would might be part of you know the seraphims which are the dragons you have the uh, lion type gods that are you know also part of what the sphinx looks like and you have you know anubis or the anunnaki of these bird type of angels so you kind of get the imagery that they're they're encoding that taciturn information into their coat of arms because it shows their loyalty and it means a lot to them and it's really hard to decode it unless you really are familiar with their secret language and each uh, of the lower thrones would probably have a lower angel that's reporting up the hierarchy to the hierarchy of angels that we talked about in the last show as you go down into all of these different lower levels of government and in each of these nations and sub-nations you're going to have um, and we kind of understand it mostly as sub-nations now, but as an example, you might have, let's say, you know, England that has a commonwealth of nations. So that's kind of what I talk about when we're talking about sort of those um, lower nations that are within part of that sort of greater nation. And I'm not saying that's one of the 70, I'm just saying, using that as a modern example. So each nation now has different provinces and I know there the word state gets involved typically in ancient only state was a nation so provincial and province is more the legacy name that they would use and then you would have cities and or counties so you start to break that down into lower levels and all of these require government which we've seen we've seen that sort of basic infrastructure except at the top where you have more of a democracy and elected type of government in a lot of the governments but you know let's say in the commonwealth of england the, the leader is still the recognized king and queen of england so you have countries like america who don't have a leader at the top but if they don't then that's still sort of looked at as you know the head of the government right okay and then you descend everything down from there so we've had a few changes in the modern times but it's still essentially the same type of hierarchy and it's important to understand that you're going to have angels and there's you know like a third of the angels were rebelled so there's at least 33 million of them because Daniel and 
Revelation talks about 10,000 times 10,000, which is 100 million. So you've got lots of these angels that are rebellious that are all working to ensure that the human government is working for them and they would answer to those lower angels at those lower levels and then everything moves up sort of in parallel up to up through the angelic order and up through the human order and of course when you look at the thrones of the government you have all of these imageries that go back to the throne of satan that would be a counterfeit of God's holy throne. And so that's why you see, you know, things like cherubs and uh, fancy uh, chariots and thrones that are sort of decorating it. So each of these thrones would be sort of a counterfeit of what Satan's throne would look like and it would be a counterfeit of what the lower level of the 70 nations and perhaps seven above that would look like as you see that descending order of the thrones. And also remember that, and as I mentioned in this government aspect, that when we look at, you know, barons and dukes and all these different names, these are just offspring of the same bloodlines. They're just not in a ruling throne, but they're still bloodlines. And they're the cousins and the second cousins and, you know, how the family works. But that's the elite. That's the ruling class. That is the hierarchical ruling class that imposed the feudal system on humankind since Babel as they did before the flood so that they could keep the Adamites and the descendants of Noah um, governed by totalitarian governments who are loyal to Satan and to lead humankind astray. So if we roll this forward uh, to the end time and in you know Revelation uh, 13 in verse uh, 7, 15 and 2 and 4, Antichrist, after he comes to power, receives power. That's the word excusia. So now what's going on in the time of the end, you have this amalgamation of the governments that becomes more visible. And so this power comes from Satan or the dragon. Okay, so you see how that's interconnected. It's the same thing that's been going on in a hidden or an invisible way uh, all throughout history. And he magnifies himself, Antichrist, to be the prince of the host, as Daniel talks about. So he's going to be like Jesus, like the word of God, who is raised higher than the host. And he's going to lead the host of the rebellious angels in this rebellion against God in the end time. And prince in Daniel goes back in Hebrew to the word sar, S-A-R, which means chief ruler, king, seranum. And there's another word for prince that's tend to use, be used more for the Israelite monarchy, but that's, uh, you know, a, a different sort of rabbit hole. And of course, host is Saba or the army of angels or a body uh, of, of beings. And he is raised to be the leader of the angels by Satan, just as God has raised Jesus to be the, the leader uh, and before Jesus as the word, as being above the host. And again, I wonder in the end time when that relationship of 10 and 7 that I talked about, when you have the 10 kingdoms um, that are maybe split up again into seven different sub-districts that will, you know, again, magnify or modify and or reflect that 70 nation aspect. Uh, because symmetry and numbers and sacred numerology is very, very important to the occult religion. So I'm sure there's some sort of numerology in there that would um, 
make some sense out of that. And as we look at uh, the government side, which is part of that government and religious pillar that comes down from the seraphims, understand the seraphims were the ministers, as Isaiah 6 talks about, um, before the throne of God, and actually dwell within the fiery stones of the altar before God. And so if we look at the religious aspect, and I'm going to use the Catholic religion, but most religions have a similar type of hierarchy with different maybe terms for it. But if we look at the Catholic one, you've got the Pope who is the bishop and or the archbishop, the chief bishop. And uh, again, that arc, I'll come back to that in, in a few minutes, but that's an important word in all of this. And underneath it, sort of off to the side, you have a college of bishops and cardinals that come from the hierarchy that elect the Pope. And, and so these could be known as elders and other organizations. So it's, it's kind of the same sort of body. And then under the Pope, you have the, the bishops, which do governorship and doctrine underneath the Pope. And you have that split into patriarchs and archbishops in the Catholic system and archbishops, um, rule over archdioceses, which are regions, and these patriarchs are set up the same way, but they're more autonomous than the archbishops, and, you know, they'll include, like, the Coptic Church, uh, the Greek and Armenian churches, and the Syriac Church that are in the Catholic organizational structure, but they're a little bit more autonomous than the archbishops, but kind of at the same level. And then below that, you have cardinals, which are equivalent to royal princes. And so when we talk about the black nobility and we talk about the elite and the government, understand that most of the churches at the, at the higher end come from the, the elite status who have bloodlines. They've infiltrated and they've gotten control. So just be aware of that. So you have, really have to watch people as to what their actions are and what they say. I mean, you could be of the bloodlines, but, you know, still a follower of God. And, you know, that's highly possible for me. So judge people on what they say and what they do. And below that you have the priests, and below that you have the deacons. And the priests will lead, uh, the cardinals will lead a, a diocese uh, under the hierarchy of the archbishop and the archdiocese. So you see that split sort of coming down the same way as it's done on the government side. Priests will lead a church, and then the deacons are ordained, but they'll they'll just help the priest, and they're sort of that helper sort of aspect. And so. When we look at that and we look at the magistrates of the churches and we look at the similar type of terms, you see a similar pattern in the organizational structure. And that's because it really is one is for the religious side, one's for the sort of the legalistic side of running the day to day business. On the other side, we have the military. And what's really interesting about the military is, is you have this term that comes down through history that's the supreme commander. And in World War II, you had General Eisenhower who was classified as the supreme commander. That's kind of like an arch uh, commander, like a chief commander. So, And then below that, you have the generals that will lead different divisions and uh, armies uh, and sections of the overall army. 
uh, just as you had different generals that were coming from different countries and then that would break down into lower grade generals. And then you have brigadiers and you have commissioned officers and you have the soldiers and the soldiers would be more like the, and the angel class that we talked about in the last show. And again, the noble elite and the bloodline class will capture all of the commissioned officer for the most part and above. Uh, seems to be one of the qualifications. There will be some humans that will get into low-level commissioned officers, just as you have, you know, in the secret societies, you have some new blood and you have some people that are at the lower levels and some of them will rise to the upper levels, but they never get to the pure blood levels. So again, be sort of aware of that. And you know, in Mark 26, um, Jesus talks about legions uh, that could be called for Jesus. Uh, and so understand that there is an army of Jesus, uh, an army of God that uh, the rebellious angels um, counterfeit as well, just as it's counterfeit in the human armies that, on, that are on earth. And when we look at the buildings of government and religion, they will tell us who they are and what they do. So they're going to represent their beliefs and they tend to be built in Greek, Roman, Egyptian in this classic architectural pattern that dictates where their loyalties go back to. So I don't care whether it's government or it's universities or it's courthouses or it's Masonic temples, it's Gothic cathedrals, the iconology that might be in a church that shouldn't be there. Look for those taciturn allegories, buildings and iconology which will tell you who they are actually following. And, you know, I look at the universities and, you know, you have that word college that's associated with college, which comes from the Latin collegium. And that basically means a guild or a society of common cause. And in university and education, they give out degrees. And you have like a master of, of, uh, a master's degree in university and all of these terms if you think about it are part of the secret societies and the mystical religions which is a knowledge cult so again not that knowledge is bad and not that education is bad but understand that the invisible college is the name for the royal college the invisible ones were the ones who begat the rosicrucians who were the organization behind the Templars, these are the ones that answer to the invisible ones in, in, in the spiritual world and communicate with them. And they're the ones who are educating our children. So we need to understand that there's significant brainwashing that, that's going on there. I'll give you a couple other examples. I'm going to run a little bit over time here, but I just think it's important to nail a little bit more of this down. Even when you look at gangs and things, you have a secret society that are part of the governing structure, which is why you, you will always have like the mafia. And, and there's a reason why the mafia boss is called the Godfather, because the angels were God 
fathers of the Nephilim. And this is just starts at the head again, just at the Nephilim boss or the king's king level. And below that, you're going to have an advisor or a consigliere, as in the Godfather, you recognize that term, uh, which again is kind of like that council just underneath the Pope where you have this advisory class or the king will have an advisory class of, of people working for him. Then you have the underboss and then you have the crime families. So again, you can see this going down in bloodlines and families. And those are the lieutenants or the deputies um, of, 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 of the you know, direct relatives of, of, of the godfather. And then you have the soldiers, which are the made men, and they work at the street level. And then you have the associates, with, which are, are the helpers. And we see a similar structure that gets set up in the Masonic hierarchy, you know, that begins with the Grand Lodge of a country or a nation, and then you have provincial lodges and districts. And of course, they're set up in an alignment with the other governmental institutions so that they can work alongside. And same with alongside where the churches are. And below that, you have the lodge. So a grandmaster will, you know, be one of the ones that are uh, running, you know, a part of the grand lodge and will be part of the provincial lodges. And then a worshipful master is the one who runs uh, a local lodge. And you have to be above third degree to oversee a, as a, a grand master who is part of the provincial lodges that may have several lodges underneath them. So again, you've got that word master and, you know, that worshipful master, you know, tells you who they are actually worshiping, which is the, you know, who they believe their God is, which the adept level uh, knows as uh, Lucifer, which we would understand in Christianity as, as Satan. So I'm going to throw some words at you right now because, you know, we talked about, you know, some of these words that came out of Greek and some that come out of, hist uh, out of, out of Hebrew. And it's the Greek ones that are more prominent in the English language that was created by Francis Bacon that a lot of this language just permeates uh, things that we know and things that we understand. So, you know, in science or knowledge and understand that, you know, this, the polytheist religions are a knowledge cult from the tree of Gnosis, as they would call it in the Garden of Eden. Um, we'll, st we'll begin with the word archa, which is in archangel and archon. And that means uh, it's arch, uh, the original word coming out of Latin is archa, box, chest, or hidden knowledge. And then you have the word arcane, which they've kind of created in the last few hundred words, which means hidden occult knowledge of the angels, of the fallen rebellious angels. You have archaic, which means ancient from the beginning and the beginning of the angelic rebellion. And you have archeology, span which is um, looking for lost knowledge of the ancients. You have the word archaic, which goes back to the ancients. You have archives, which uh, is a library of knowledge and records of the ancients of, as it comes out of history. I know we use it for different terms. You have archetype, which means first or ancient model, and everything is set up as an archetype of the rebellious angels on earth, which is an archetype of the real first one is, is the government of God. You have the archives of the Masons that they like to talk about of this lost knowledge uh, that they say that they have and or the chambers of the archives. 
understand these words permeate us. There's more. Right? When you talk about buildings as in masonry, which comes from the, the knowledge, you have arch, which is a curved structure, and you have architect, um, you know, which is the knowledge of building, which is actually the building or a chief architect, um, which is, you know, the chief builder. And you have curved buildings or dome buildings that fall under that word arc as in curve, as you have uh, a secondary meaning to the term arc, as in, you know, arc in a circle. And in the government, of course, we have the chief magistrate, which is an archon. That term isn't used as much. It's where it comes from out of Greek. And you have the archduke, which is an uh, archprince. And you have an archcourt, which is the chief court, or what we would call in the U.S. Uh, the Supreme Court. Uh, that's where the term comes from. And in the religious aspect, we talked about archbishop, archdiocese, archdeacon. Uh, again, all words that sort of descend back into the sort of the angelic rebellion that runs things, whether they're archangels uh, or they're archons um, that we've talked about in this show and the last show. And the word arch enemy or arch fiend or arch nemesis, that is the chief enemy, which is Satan which is so appropriate to understand Satan as an archangel and an archon, as well as a seraphim and a cherubim. And this is uh, the individual that is not only known as Lucifer in the Gnostic religions and the Masonic religions, but also known as the great architect of the universe, because he's not a creator god. Their belief is he, cre he uh, sorted out and organized the mess that the God of the Bible made of the universe, which is you know how they work in their duality with Satan being equal to God, what they believe, not what I believe. And he's known as the great archon of mysticism who lives in the Archaeon, which is a house of judgment and illicit knowledge that uh, he is uh, providing so that he can lead humankind away from God. So... Hoping I gave you a pretty good understanding in terms of how the human side emulates the rebellious side uh, that counterfeits God's side because everything they do is a counterfeit and everything is designed to deceive you and lead you away from God. So uh, if you want to get uh, a document on this, get a hold of me through my website at the genesis6conspiracy.com. That's genesis6, the number 6conspiracy.com and I'll send you that document. Or if you want some of the other documents that I've talked on previous shows that support this, also ask for those and I can send that to you. So until the next time, um, saying uh, thank you for listening and hopefully that we're giving you a better understanding of the players so that you can better sift your way through what's going on in this world.